This episode is our 100th episode. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone. Thank you for being there with us. Thank you for listening. And I think most importantly, thank you for the courage to lean in and do this work for yourself, for your families, for your organizations. We want you to know too that this work matters. We really appreciate you being here with us. We're so glad you're here. And here's to 100 more. I think as we move through our lives, seeking something, seeking to move away from something. In this case, we may be seeking to move towards the feeling of enough. I am finally enough. Enough for what? Love, safety, belonging. Enough to quiet and still the voices in our heads that tell us we're not enough. You know those old voices. As we move towards enough and away from not enough, we set out with a kind of pace that says, I'm going to go to that mountaintop. I'm going to go to that place. I'm going to cut through the forest. The analogy that I think is more helpful is to see ourselves as tacking across the surface of a lake. And so we zigzag across the lake to get from one side to the other to get from feeling like not enough to feeling like I'm enough. And the process of that zigzagging, that process of tacking across the lake, we do this kind of mind fuck on ourselves where we say, because I'm not moving directly across the lake, there must be something wrong with me. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Dude, he said with a smile, I just look forward to the day where the idea of being good enough, the worry of being good enough, just plain boring for you. A friend and colleague, Jim, said this to me in a very loving and supportive way about two weeks ago. I've done a ton of my own work over the last uh, 20 plus years, and I've dug deep and looked at so many scary and oftentimes overwhelming corners of my psyche. I've made huge strides in my own development. I have no doubt I am a better partner, coach, husband, father, just a better man because of this work. But I have so far to go. And perhaps my biggest battle, my biggest opportunity for growth, lies in my sense of worth. I don't know exactly when or where it came from, but for a long time I've had this nagging, overwhelming feeling that I must earn my place by doing. Not just doing, but doing more and better than anyone else. Not to excel, but to exist. Not to succeed, but to survive. I'll be enough when I do enough. It's a trap. The truth is, I'll never be able to do enough. I'm on a treadmill, not a journey. The harder I run, the more I chase, the more exhausted I become. And yet, I'm in the same place. For me, sense of worth is varied from moment to moment, jumping with the latest words of praise and sinking with perceived criticism or judgment. doesn't even have to be real criticism or judgment. What is your baseline of worth? My therapist asked me recently. I think it's zero, I replied somewhat sheepishly. Now, I think that's a little harsh and a little extreme, but the dominant voice in my head continues to whisper, 
Just do enough and you'll be enough. Keep doing. But what if there's a different way? All this time I've been looking for the thing out there that will make me enough. But what about what's right here? What if the way to win the race is to stop? What if the way to be enough is to just be? In David Wagner's poem, Lost, he ends with, You are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. What if I can just be here? Now, I'm still trying to figure out what that means, I'll be honest. But it definitely feels like a new direction. It feels like an end to the race. And that's a great place to start. Shanley Knox is a writer, strategist, and social entrepreneur. She's been a powerful bridge for entrepreneurs in East Africa, connecting them with greater opportunities and brands in the U.S. But underlying her drive to have an impact and to help so many, we see that she too has been running a hard race. The race to be enough. In this conversation with Jerry, Shanley explores the feeling of being lost, the drive to run the race, and the shame that comes with that. And ultimately, they settle on a question, what if I'm already where I need to be? And what if that is enough? Being the CEO of a startup is hard. It can be lonely with long hours and never-ending, unforgiving to-do lists. When do you take time to step back and take a good, hard look at how things are going? When do you take time to step back and take a good, hard look at how you are showing up as a leader? Are you ready for a transformational weekend to change how you experience leadership? This April 25th through 28th, reboot and refresh what it means to be a CEO. Over this long weekend, the Reboot team will help you establish greater awareness of your personal leadership habits by creating a customized strategy for being the leader you want to be, the leader you are capable of being, all while building a trusted network of peers you can rely on. Applications are open through March 15th, so go to reboot.io slash April Bootcamp to apply and secure your spot. Hey, Shanley, it's great to see you and I'm excited to have this conversation. And well, before we dive in, why don't you just take a moment, introduce yourself, and however it feels right to you, and then we'll sort of start having conversation about the thing that you want to talk about. Yeah. So um, I have been a social entrepreneur for the past ten years, and that's really been my main um, kind of work and identity. And then kind of revolving around that and filling into that has also been writing and has also been doing a lot of, um, of strategy and freelance. Um, but my work in, uh, in Haiti and then, and then mostly in East Africa in particular has very much been kind of the defining work of, of who I've been for the past, uh, kind of decade. And, and has it been with one organization or multiple organizations? It's been with a couple. Um, I started my first company by myself, and that was a small social enterprise where I ended up in the end working with 12 women who still run that company today locally. I I ended up turning it over to them uh, about five years in, and uh, I learned a lot. They're, They're remarkable. They're still... They're still, like I said, running that themselves and investing the business back in local communities. And then my second business, I started almost five years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And, and what countries were these in? Both of them were in Uganda. In Uganda. And um, what, what does the second company do? So it's a manufacturing company that, I mean, really the goal kind of coming out of my first company, I worked with women and, and distributed accessories that they made internationally. And I saw that there really wasn't a place for women in mainstream manufacturing. So I decided to move into mainstream manufacturing in Uganda um, and try and, and kind of create more of that space and create a space for ethical payment of people, create a space for better treatment. So I've been working for the past several years with a very specific type of material that only comes out of East Africa and then distributing that to different luxury companies. So we're basically a, a custom manufacturer. I see. I see. And what would be helpful for you to talk through today? Yeah. uh, So I'm in the midst of shutting the business down. Ah. And I think for me, shutting the business down, you know, it, it, it was something that occurred right before taking investment to actually scale the business. Mm. (laughs) If you had told me at the beginning of this year that I was going to make the decision to shut it down again, I would or shut it down instead, I would have told you that you were crazy. Mm. Um, But through that process, it just became more and more apparent that the direction it was going in wasn't a direction that um, really felt congruous with who I was. So now in shutting down operation as they are, I'm really trying to take a pause. And after, you know, um, many years of this kind of work, trying to think about, uh, who I really am today and and what I want to do from here and, and really thinking about how to do it from a different place than I've done it in the past. Mm. So there's this um, external transition going on. And really the first business in some ways kind of feels like it flowed into the second business, even though they were distinct businesses, because it was all part of a, uh, a larger arc, if you will, of entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship with social impact. And there's this external transition occurring mm-hmm. about um, shutting down that business coupled with or perhaps even prompted by an internal dialogue that's going on, which is kind of who am I, if you will, independent of this identity, this externalized identity. Am I seeing that correctly? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think there were a lot of um, reasons that I started the second business and even started the first that aren't really resonating with me anymore. And I feel like I've been working off of this momentum and this story. You know, I started out in the nonprofit industry and in journalism, working with really impoverished women Mm. and and discovered that, you know, there there was this reality in the nonprofit industry that a lot of people who were being served by it really weren't being listened to. There really wasn't a dialogue around what do you want to do mm. that? That really drove the start of my first business was that I was interviewing 
all of these different women one-on-one for this nonprofit. And I just started realizing, you know, because I was a similar age to them and I think I was a little less intimidating than a lot of other people that they had talked to, they would kind of pull me aside and say, you know, Hey, like, here's what I'm doing with the sponsorship. I've been given what I really want to do is start X, Y, and Z business. And, um, I, you know, I graduated from journalism school thinking I was going to head to Washington DC and write. And then I just had this, um, you know, my whole heart was just like, no, I want to work with these women. Like, mm-hmm. um, and probably a couple years into doing that was the realization that there was this kind of idea of white saviorism going on. Mm-hmm. And this idea that it may have been altruistic, but there's a kind of neurotic ego aggrandizement that goes along with it. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yes. And I think um, my, I really got lost, I would say, and, and have been lost since then, I think, around um, what to do with my desire to work with the impoverished and the fact that I don't want to be that. And so my first business was very much focused on working with women and trying to market their, their pieces in a way that, that had dignity to it. And then moving into my second business, I very much carried that momentum and that story where it was a social enterprise out of Uganda, but I think I was really trying to prove a point. And the point was that you can manufacture and source and and work out of these areas and it doesn't need to have anything to do with poverty and it doesn't need to have anything to do with doing good quote unquote and um and i think we really effectively did that we um you know we did some amazing work in luxury eyewear industries and luxury jewelry industries and uh but but at the end of it i i feel a little bit like um like i got lost (laughs) And, and I don't know, um, I don't really know why I'm there anymore. And I know I want to keep doing the work that I'm doing, but I think in my effort to, um, to make sure that I stayed away from my desire to help quote unquote, I, I lost, I lost some of the direction that I had started with. And, and now I'm kind of questioning, uh, what's next with that, if that makes sense. It does. So in this process, you got lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. So I'm, I'm, I'm making up a story in my mind about where you are in your life. And so I'm imagining you, you went to journalism school. Was that a graduate school? No, that was undergrad. Undergrad. Um, so I started my first business, yeah, in my very, very early 20s. Okay, so you're, pro- so you're in your early 30s now. I am 29. 29, Mazel tough. Oh my God. Um, and you're sort of looking at the brink of your life, sort of saying, where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. Do you know the poem uh, by David Wagner, Lost? I have heard that poem. All right, well, we're going to read it again because I think it's appropriate right now. So as you know, um, David Wagner writes about that moment in our lives when we feel lost. And Wagner writes, stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you, 
are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger. Must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen. It answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches of the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. David Wagner, lost. What's he saying? Um, I mean, to me, he's saying that the feeling of, of being lost is a place in and of itself and not necessarily a place to pass through on your way to somewhere else. Mm. Wow. I think you're right, and I haven't seen that before. I'm always struck by his admonition to stand still. And I'm seeing your desire, your, your, your action to alter the trajectory in which you have been on for almost a decade as a kind of standing still. Yeah. I think that um, particularly in my experience of being a, a quote-unquote social entrepreneur there, has been this reality of the um, the awards you're supposed to get and the places you're supposed to be featured and the pressure of 30 under 30 before you're 30. And, <laughs> oh, God. And, um, and I, I have found that the Fast Company articles and the, and the Forbes interviews and the, the accounts and the numbers and the, you know, I had this moment when, um, when we had a, an investor that you know, said yes to us and really wanted to work with us, where I thought, oh, it's finally here. Like, finally, someone is giving me the moment I've been wanting that is going to tell me that I am enough. Mm. And, um, and uh, I am so tired of chasing that moment. And... I think that that is my biggest reality right now is that I am really tired of chasing that moment. <laughs> tired of chasing the wish to feel enough. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair? Yeah. So I have some kind of um, force outside of me tell me that I've worked hard enough. I've pushed fast enough. I've tried you know, hard enough, I'm smart enough. Mm. Um, Yeah. I'm pausing because I want to honor the wisdom in what you've just shared. And I see in your eyes that you're tired and you're weary. And 
I feel um, respectful of your capacity to know that the standing still here is to kind of let the forest find you. You know, for me, it's it, perhaps to play with the analogy a little bit, it's the forest of enough. Enough is not in Uganda. Enough is actually right here, right with you, right within you. You, know, you, you spoke before. What, what was the phrase you used? The white, not privilege. The white savior. <laughs> the white savior complex. It's a complex feeling. It's a complicated feeling. Complicated situation. As I sort of blithely said, there's a kind of, there can be an ego aggrandizement behind a lot of altruism. And what I'm hearing you recognize is that um, perhaps there was a link between your own impulse to save, the initial impulse to save and the wish to feel enough. Is that, mm -hmm. it's not a projection on my part. <laughs> Because no, it not. could very well be. As someone who, <laughs> someone who really revels in being a hero, um, I could very um, well be my own projection. Yeah, no, it's not a projection at all. And I think that there, there for me was so much shame in that um, realization. And there was so much of a desire not to be that, that then there became kind of this chasing of, you know, how do I become the poster girl of not that? Mm -hmm. um, and so I worked to integrate into Ugandan culture and into, um, mm -hmm. into life there um, to... Um, to a point where I think I lived um, miles outside my own boundaries or comfort zone for a very long time and really kind of in the, in the name of, of wanting to do it right. Mm. And it didn't really matter um, how I paid for that as long as it was right. And uh, I think I think I'm just only beginning to realize that. Hmm. I wrote uh, on my little pad here that uh, a question mark, a question which was, does right equal enough? Not so far. <laughs> <laughs> So you were trying to do it right, and somehow it, it too, was not enough. Um, no, it was not enough. It made me very um, empty. Mm. I would say I lost a lot of my 
own value of myself and trying to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was living out kind of a grandiose apology or maybe a desire to to do it differently, but not in a way where I had any idea how to also take care of myself or still feel, uh, you know, it just became this, uh, this kind of drudgery where I wasn't ever allowed to feel positive about anything I was doing um, mm. ever. Because you wouldn't be right and therefore would not be enough. And so... Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And so in that pursuit of enough, on the one hand, we start off with this sort of beautiful, gorgeous enthusiasm. I'm going to, I'm going to save the world. And this, by the way, is definitely a projection because this was me. I'm going to save the world. And then all of a sudden we realize, well, actually, what's going on there? And we start to look at our internal systems and our intentions and we start to call that into question and so then we move in the other direction yeah and it doesn't work yeah tell me what the tears are saying (laughs) i um You know, the first year, I guess, we started this business, I um, I lost my dad. And before that, my work overseas had so much been about... Um, I loved our relationship. And I loved sharing what I was building with him. And I think for me, that was the only piece of it that always was pure joy was to being able to share with dad yeah and this year i lost my dad i uh, i got assaulted in uganda mm-hmm. and it stopped being a place that felt um, safe mm-hmm. and i thought that if i didn't turn around and push myself to go back and continue working right away. Um, that I had failed somehow. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I just really kept going as fast as I could, mm-hmm. as hard as I could. I am so moved by your heart. It, uh, it's so present and so real. And so you moved faster and faster to not feel 
perhaps the loss of dad uh, and the loss of safety that Uganda may have represented at some point. Um, I won't read the full poem, but there's a beautiful line in, in a blessing we often use in some of our camps and our experience. And it's, it's from John O'Donoghue's Blessing for One Who Is Exhausted. And it's just as simply this, be excessively gentle with yourself. Be excessively gentle with yourself. Shanley, if I, if I can step a little bit into that, I'll name it paternalistic role. Um, what I would say from that place is, here's the metaphor that occurs to me from that place. I think as we move through our lives, seeking something, seeking to move away from something. We may, in this case, we may be seeking to move towards the feeling of enough. I am finally enough. Enough for what? Love, safety, belonging. Enough to quiet and still the voices in our heads that tell us we're not enough. You know those old voices. As we move towards enough and away from not enough, we set out with a kind of pace that says, I'm going to go to that mountaintop. I'm going to go to that place. I'm going to cut through the forest. But, and I'm mixing my metaphors now, but I think it's the analogy that I think is more helpful is to see ourselves as tacking across the surface of a lake. I don't sail, so I'm imagining this is true. But when we sit in the sailboat and we're moving from one shore to the other shore, we don't just set out, unless we've got a power boat, unless we've got a motor, we don't just set out across the lake straight ahead. We actually turn the sails into and away from the wind. And so we zigzag across the lake to get from one side to the other, to get from feeling like not enough to feeling like I'm enough. And the process of that zigzagging, that process of tacking across the lake, we do this kind of mind fuck on ourselves where we say, because I'm not moving directly across the lake, there must be something wrong with me. You know, you, you, you had this beautiful reaction to David Wagner's poem where he talks about the lost place, where, right, being lost. And you called it a place. Yes, this place that you are in, this is a place. The forest knows where you are. This is the place called here. It's not way back there where I once was, nor is it the, the there that I will get to. It's here. And 
you have been tacking across the surface of the lake of your life in the pursuit of feeling enough. And that is a-okay. That is, to use a word, enough. Tell me more of the story behind those tears. Um, there's just I think been um, I've had so much uh, embarrassment over, I don't know, this kind of idea of what I thought it meant to handle death well, Mm. or to handle assault well, or to handle living overseas well, or to work well. And, And it's been really hard. And this year has been a kind of a waking up um, to a different reality, to the reality of, of I think, creating a home. Um, mm. I got married, um, having a baby. Well, that's I, tough. <laughs> yeah, the baby's a big one. Um, and I... I think when I found out I was pregnant, there was this moment where I realized that I was at home. Oh. And, um, and, uh, and in that waking up and in that um, kind of recognition that I could stop running, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it has been like um, travel, you know, like eight months out of the year, last minute just like let's get this thing done kind of Mm. let's not lose a single opportunity and and in the reality that i could stop for a minute there has been this overwhelming sense of um of of just oh my god why didn't i do it better why Mm. have i been so messy why have i been so angry why have i of all the moments that i could possibly be embarrassed about or have done better and um, what you're saying, I guess, really resonates because only lately have I begun to feel this inkling of an idea that um, that I don't have to be embarrassed about everything until now. <laughs> hmm. And I think I even when you talk about being in the pursuit of being enough, I feel, um, you know, my inclination is to then feel sh- shame in that. And the idea that there there is no shame in that is um, is much more uh, gentle than I think I have mm. been living out. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 strong impulse I had was to, to was to reinforce the notion of the power of being excessively gentle with oneself. 
and to see that the wish, the powerful wish to be enough, the powerful wish to be right, the powerful wish for home um, is a human condition. And the kind of crazy, perverse, not particularly gentle treatment that we put upon ourselves is that when we have the capacity to be aware that we're pursuing enough to then label ourselves as broken for pursuing enough. Thinking that somehow it's going to drive us closer to enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we and we both laugh, right? Because it's 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 the logic. It's not the logic. It's not the logic of an adult. It's the logic of a five year old. Mm. And the reason I bring that in is because these kinds of belief systems set root in our earliest ages, in our formation, when we're when we're just a kind of bundle of protoplasm trying to make sense of the world. It's like, what? I cry and I get fed? Huh? How does, what, what happens there? Right? We're, we're like trying to make sense. We're just this like babbling thing that's trying to, trying to stay alive and feel warm and feel safe and loved. And then, and then we, we construct meaning out of all of this and, and we construct these relationships between feelings. And so I have to be harsh on myself so that I can feel gentle with myself. You're, you're smiling because right? you recognize this, right? All right. I, you know, um, and then there's this awareness that's happened with your marriage. And what's your partner's first name? Oshin. Oshin. So Oshin and, and the player to be named later, the baby to be named later. Um, there's something that's happening in this, in this family that's unfolding. And it's related to that word home, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What does home mean to Shanley? I think it means um, the ability to stop and be in a place where you um, you don't have to strive, you can just be. Mm. <laughs> and the idea of safety. Mm. I often say love, safety, and belonging. Give me love, safety, and belonging, and I will have enough. Mm. And I will be enough. So home is love, safety, and belonging. Home is where you know you are enough. I know that there's pain and I know that there are tears in this place. But um, 
from this vantage point, and it's just from my vantage point. It's not a truth. It feels like you're exactly where you need to be. How does that sound to you? Sounds right. Hmm. And a little, uh, I think it feels very safe and a little bit scary at the same time. Hmm. I think a hard question to hold on to is what what will it feel like when I am no longer striving? What will it feel like when I no longer need to pursue but can just be right so this isn't a break to go right back to, to pursuing and striving <laughs> got it what does david wagner say what is the first line <laughs> of his poems still <laughs> it's not Stand still, catch your breath so that you can run fast again. <laughs> that was like an Airbnb situation. <laughs> now that oh. capacity to laugh at, oh, what a great gift you give yourself. Yeah. I was saying to somebody this morning that we were talking about meditation and he said to me, Jerry, what do you know? What is, what is I said, meditation for me is, a, is, a, is an opportunity to stand still, to sit still, and watch my crazy mind do its thing. And that's kind of what I just saw you do, which is this funny little, like, oh, <laughs> I'm about to start running again. I'm about to start pursuing again. I'm going to pursue not pursuing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you for taking the time and thank you for opening your heart like this. And uh, I know that, that folks will be moved by your story and, and, and there are a lot of folks who will really relate to what you are going through. And, you know, you're living out when, when, when we share like this, we live out that sense of what community can do for each other. So we get to be with each other in that experience. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, thank you. Really an honor. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all three seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galilee.
Are you looking to stay up to date on all things Reboot? Join our mailing list to receive updates on the podcast, including our most recent episodes, corresponding blog posts, and updates on exclusive Reboot services and events. Head to reboot.io slash sign up.